0: Welcome back to the horrors. Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Shay. And we're fucking back. Yes, we are. Happy new
1: year. Happy new season, even though we don't do those. (laughs)
0: Thank you for your patience. We both were ill. We We were. were. We were going through some shit. Mm -hmm, That's correct. But we decided that January would be our 2022 catch up. Yes. A highlight reel.
1: And also preparing for some things that are coming in
0: 2023. And we're going to start it off with X. Mm Mm-hmm. 2022 directed by Ty West. And we haven't talked about Ty West yet, but he is actually an actor in Your Next, which is a movie we're certainly going to cover soon. It's so fun, gives ready or not energy. But yeah, X and its prequel Pearl really took the horror world by storm this year. We are covering X this week and Pearl next week. So we are just going to be prepping ourselves for Maxine, which is the third installment, which is that coming out in 2023, do we know? It's coming up March 18th. Oh my god, that's so soon. I know. That in Scream must be coming out like the same weekend. Scream yes! 6. Did you see that thing I shared on Instagram the other day? Yes, I did. Oh my god, the map? Yes. Oh, I'm we so excited. do like a double whammy.
1: What if we leave one theater and go to the other theater?
0: Like do that thing where you just pay for one ticket and sneak in. <gasps> we're not committing crimes.
1: <laughs> we're just thinking
0: about it. We're just thinking about <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. March will be a fun time. Because then we have March Madness we got to get into as well. March is going to be a month. On the pod. Okay, so let's talk about X. Let's do this.
1: Who are our ladies? What's going on?
0: All right, so we got three main ladies. Well, four technically, but three actresses in X. We have Maxine, who is played by Mia Goth. She's fucking everywhere right now. She's obviously also in Pearl. She was in the 2018 Suspiria. She's in a movie called Marrowbone, which I really liked a lot. She's in A Cure for Wellness. She's in the upcoming Maxine. And then she's also in the upcoming Infinity Pool. Okay, that one looks fucking wild. It's a lot of body horror, though. I don't know that you'll love it very much. But that one <laughs> that one's upcoming. Mia Goth also plays Pearl, who is an older lady in this film. So she just has a lot of prosthetics on a lot. It's very much like Tilda Swinton in the 2018 Suspiria, where she plays Dr. Joseph and Madame Blanc. Mia
1: Goth is unrecognizable as Pearl in this movie. Absolutely not. Like you couldn't have clocked it, I would have never known unless I knew.
0: (laughs) Which is so important because Pearl is the prequel that we're going to be watching. So it's the same character. So there's just a lot of overlaps that we're going to be talking about once the time comes. We also have Lorraine, who is played by Jenna Ortega. Obviously, she's fucking everywhere right now, too. Mm -hmm. Wednesday, You Season 2, Scream 2022 and the upcoming Scream 6. The Babysitter, Killer Queen, Studio 666, and Insidious Chapter 2. Obviously, she's in so much more. She's fucking everywhere right now. But she is really fucking up the horror game currently. And then we have Bobby Lynn, who is played by my celebrity crush, Britney Snow. <laughs> obviously, we know her from Prom Night and Would You Rather. But obviously, she's in so much fucking more outside of the horror genre.
1: Brittany Snow is delightful in this movie. She is my favorite part of this movie. She is so (laughs) good. I was so grateful that she was here because she provided so much quality content.
0: I like needed her lightheartedness at every turn. Like her saying, bless your heart is just so good. It was healing to me.
1: It was also healing to me. Oh my gosh. Okay, so we'll get into it, but yes, this is probably my favorite horror role that I saw her
0: in. To be fair, she didn't have very high contenders <laughs> to compare <laughs> no.
1: it to. She really, she really came into her own here. She really did. Okay, so some pre-plot trivia. So the title of the film refers to the X rating used by the MPAA from 1968 to 1990, which indicated that a film was only suitable for an audience aged 16 or older. The idea behind the rating was that, unlike other certificates, X would not be trademarked and would allow filmmakers to release their film in theaters without needing to submit it to the MPAA for an age certificate. In the 70s, the porn industry would end up exploiting the X rating's lack of a trademark by releasing pornos in theaters with that same rating. Eventually, X became more associated with porn, and more and more theaters started refusing to show films with an X rating, forcing non-pornographic films to be censored and to receive an R rating. In 1990, the MPAA discontinued the X rating and replaced it with NC-17. Unlike X, NC-17 was trademarked and could not be self-applied, but it still meant that most theaters would not show films with a rating, resulting in censorship once again.
0: That's like wild to me that adult films were just like out there. Yes. That you could just go and it could just be something you did at like three o'clock on a Sunday afternoon in the presence of other people. Which I mean, like if you're into that, that's great. (laughs) Like I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just the fact that that was like a norm up until a certain point.
1: It brings accidentally watching a movie with your grandparents to a whole new level. It's like, imagine you think you're going to go see a, a movie with your grandma, which I used to do when I was younger, like you, and imagine it ends up being one of these pornographic films.
0: I've told you before <laughs> how I went and saw Black Swan with oh. my grandparents, and you know what scene in Black Swan was a little concerning for me to be in the presence of my grandparents. Me I also too. saw Midsummer with my grandparents. I think you
1: did say that before. That's amazing. (sighs) I saw Hairspray with my grandma. (laughs) It was awesome. No, but I will say every time I think about this movie, I think about when I tried to make my screen name in the sixth grade, like something with an X in it. Mm -hmm. And my mother made me change my screen name because of the association with X. And she was born in the 60s. So she basically was like, Elise. (laughs) This is not what a young girl should have in her screen name. Meanwhile, there were five in mine. <laughs> and honestly, I was like, mom, then how come all of my friends have X's in their screen names? I would really like to do a study of the evolution of the letter X.
0: Absolutely. Because
1: she was so serious about having me change that name, and I had no idea why. This movie has been said to be a loving homage to 1974's Texas Chainsaw Massacre.
0: Now we haven't covered Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I'm pretty sure that's going to make an appearance in our next Cannibal Power Hour because it is such a fucking classic. So we can't really talk in depth about some of the like shot for shot references. I've seen it before. So I can reference things to some degree, but we won't be focusing on that as much because again, we haven't covered it in its full length and full capacity. But there are a lot of similarities between the way this is shot and even just like the farmhouse setting and Mm. things of that nature. Even the presence of the cow being slaughtered on the road. There's just a lot of like thematic similarity here that we're probably not going to go into just because we haven't covered it. But when we cover Texas Chainsaw, we'll be calling back to our conversation here, which is probably the opposite direction of how we should do things. But yeah, just know there's a lot of similarity. I am actually kind of
1: grateful for that because Texas Chainsaw Massacre is one of the titles that I've been really scared about. So I feel like by talking so much about, you know, cannibalism and our cannibal power hour and now watching this, I feel like it is slowly preparing me. Yes. So even though it's a little out of order, I'm here for it. Also, fun fact, Kid Cuddy is in this. <laughs> <laughs> He's in this movie.
0: <laughs> I'm all for rappers just showing up in horror movies. It makes me think of Usher and The Faculty, even though he does like next to nothing in that movie.
1: Yes. Wasn't that like
0: before his prime?
1: Yeah, like I feel like his music career was there, but it hadn't. I don't know, maybe I'm
0: wrong. It was 1999, right? Something like that. That's correct.
1: But anyway, so that's our trivia. So let's get into it. Let's do it.
0: All right, how do we open? I love when
1: movies do this. We start with a scene that then turns into like a flashback 24 hours previous. So the movie begins with police cars in front of an old farmhouse. We see the sheriff pull up in his own car. He gets out of the vehicle. He looks at what we can assume to be a dead body under a sheet. He briefly inspects it. And his face obviously tells us that this is pretty gruesome. He follows an insanely large trail of blood inside. I mean, it's so wide. It's the widest (laughs) trail of blood I've ever seen in a movie. And another officer meets him inside and leads him down into the basement and mentions, I have to show you something. We get a shot of both men looking at something that is obviously very disturbing based on the sheriff's reaction. And meanwhile, upstairs, there is a recording on the television in black and white of an evangelical preacher fervently preaching on a televised religious program. So after the sheriff sees whatever he sees, which we don't know yet, the scene cuts out and we cut into the next scene of somebody doing cocaine 24 hours earlier in Houston, Texas.
0: <laughs> and this person is Mia Goth, aka Maxine. Maxine. She is in a dressing room. An older man approaches behind her, tells her she's special, and is super affectionate with her. There's definitely an age gap in this relationship. This actor reminds me so much of Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, just like a thicker. Yeah, Matthew McConaughey. Uh uh-huh. huh. This man is thick. <laughs> yeah. And then we get the first of many what I called mirror mantras that Maxine does in this movie where she just looks at herself and she's like, you're a fucking sex symbol. (laughs) (laughs) And then her and the man and then Brittany Snow all walk out of the Bayou Burlesque in Houston, Texas. We get that via some text on the screen and they all enter a van that has plowing service (laughs) on the side of it. We love the double entendre. We do. They make like Smashing Pumpkins because it's 1979. There are scripts being passed around the van. And this is where we're introduced to our primary cast. We have Wayne, who is the older man that was affectionate with Maxine earlier. He's the driver. He seems to be the leader of the troupe. We have RJ, who is a college student cameraman who's brought along his girlfriend, Lorraine, a.k.a. Jenna Ortega, to help him shoot this film. Then we have Bobby Lynn, who is Brittany Snow, and she is cuddled up with Kid Cuddy. <laughs> His name is Jackson. And they're talking about the script. Bobby Lynn is very matter-of-fact about doing what it takes to get what she wants. You could tell that both her and Maxine don't have a lot of shame in what they do for money, aka sex work, and through context through the conversation, we find out that they are on their way to make their own dirty movie.
1: We are already starting to see that Lorraine is coming off as a little bit more judgmental of this line of work. So we're seeing that like contrasting idea already start to kind of exist surrounding this filming.
0: It's also the idea, like, we have to remember, we're in Texas in the 70s. So Bible Belt, very puritanical ideas that are still at work. So you would think because Lorraine is probably like the youngest person in this troop that she should or could be the most open minded that she's carrying these ideals that we find out later in the movie, like Maxine was raised with and that mm-hmm. she's trying to escape from and all of those kinds of things. So I found that contrast interesting where it's the older people in this troop yeah. that have these very liberated ideas about sex and sexuality where it's the younger people her and rj that are very much more judgmental about it
1: well rj and we can get into more of this as the plot continues but he presents this front that he is with this progressive filmmaking but then later when it comes to putting into practice those ideals he doesn't really quite hit the mark And I love that you said puritanical. This puritanical foundation of where they are at this time is further sewn into the plot when they stop at a gas station. Maxine and Wayne talk inside as they pick up a few things about Maxine's cosmopolitan taste. How this vision Wayne has is going to make Maxine a star. They're going to be rich. And meanwhile, at the checkout, the same evangelical preacher that we heard earlier in the opening scene is playing on the TV that the cashier is sitting next to. So again, sewing that really conservative ideology to contrast with this film.
0: We also get our first Leo moment of the movie where Wayne (laughs) tells Maxine that she has the X factor and I'm like, ooh, (laughs) (laughs) there it is. (laughs) There it is. I love it. So, Lorraine is acting a little bit shy, and Maxine doesn't like how prudish she seems, but Bobby Lynn is very friendly to her. <laughs> Lorraine very innocently asks Bobby Lynn of Jackson, Is that your boyfriend? And she said, Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that she says that. <laughs> It's so cool, but then we're also seeing RJ putting on this very artsy fartsy front where he's filming this B-roll of Jackson filling up his gas tank and he's trying to be so avant-garde about it <laughs> and trying to make it seem like he's going to film the most artistic dirty film that you could possibly get where Bobby Lynn is actually directing him being like, "You know if you shoot it from this angle, it'll look like he's filling up with his cock." You yes! know what I mean? Like and you could tell that like she's the expert in her own right and mm-hmm. even though RJ feels as though he's the most intellectual one there. Bobby Lynn knows what's going to sell and I really appreciate that she even if she doesn't appear so she is probably the smartest one in this room Mm -hmm. and that is confirmed when Wayne kind of corners her before they leave the gas station and is firm with her being like listen we can't fuck this up is treating her more of like a business equal and Mm. is less optimistic to her as he was to Maxine, pretty much saying, we're doing a very risky thing and you can't fuck this up. We have to take this seriously, blah, 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 blah. So it's like, okay, they really are doing something that's a little more risky and revolutionary to the time than maybe what we're used to in terms of our access to adult films and things of that nature.
1: Yes. And the context that seems to be developing here is that at this time, pornographic home movies were not really the thing. It was still like like picture pornography in magazines or like, I don't know, pamphlets you could order. Yes, yeah. Or performances, live performances, things like that. So this idea of like watching porn in the comfort of your own home in a video movie format is what seems like wasn't quite gonna take off. And which also is something that makes this film, I think have added layers is that obviously it's 2022. We know that industry takes off and I couldn't help, but just be like, oh, what could have been? Yeah, (laughs) Like, Like worked out the way that they wanted it to. They would all be rich. They would all be so rich. I mean, if the script and the filming was as good as they all seemed like they felt it was like, it really could have been something. They all pile back in the van, they're leaving the gas station, and on their way to their destination, they pass a really gruesome scene where a cow had gotten hit by a huge truck. And, I mean... Eviscerated. The blood and guts of this cow are, like, still steaming. Or maybe that was the truck and I got confused, but they might as well. It was like fresh a fresh roadkill scene and of course what i'm learning anytime you see a scene like this it's just foreshadowing the bloodshed and horror that is to come
0: and i thought it was important that wayne says to maxine just when you thought you'd escape the slaughterhouse i thought that was like a pretty significant hint to her origin story that obviously we don't know yet Mm -hmm. but the fact that she comes from these much more simple beginnings i thought that was a really cool thing But they eventually arrive on the farm and the farm is owned by Howard and his wife, Pearl. Wayne gets out of the truck to go greet Howard and try to get their reservation for their guest house situated. And RJ and Lorraine argue, (laughs) I wrote as Bobby Lynn and Jackson do warm ups in the van, aka they're making out, they're heavy (laughs) petting, they're trying to get themselves (laughs) ready for this scene. RJ and Lorraine are arguing, and Lorraine is saying, it's smud. And RJ is saying, when did you become such a prude? Okay, we're, again, sewing these ideals that exist between the two of them, and RJ is trying to expand her mindset. Meanwhile, she's just trying to understand why he sees this as an artistic aspiration, I guess. Howard pulls a gun on Wayne. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, he does. He forgets that he has a reservation at the guest house. <laughs> but Wayne reminds him, and then that helps Howard remember, oh, yeah, comment. I'll show you where the boarding house is.
0: Right. And this is our first comment we get about age and appearance when it comes to Howard and Pearl. Jackson says that's one ugly sum of a bitch to <laughs> yeah. the group about Howard. And if you really look at like the dialogue that surrounds Howard and Pearl, it really is based on their age and appearance. And it helps us contextualize how the group sees or doesn't see them, especially right. as threats. And I think that really helps cement them as threats later on just because of how undermined everyone else is looking at them as it reminds me of esther yeah and the opposite end
1: of the age spectrum she is constantly underestimated because she looks so young and innocent but the audience knows slowly as the movie continues what she's really capable of
0: so they begin to unload the van and maxine clocks pearl watching them from the window
1: (laughs) it's so creepy it is very creepy Again, Howard leads everyone to the boarding house. So like Howard and Wayne are kind of continuing their conversation as they get inside. Howard makes a remark. I don't think I remember you saying all these people were going to be here. Wayne tries to pay him off, which ends up working. But Howard goes, I don't think I like you, Wayne. (laughs) which I thought was funny, but he leaves. And then that interaction kind of shows us that, of course, Howard and Pearl, at least initially didn't know that there was going to be like a sex movie filmed here.
0: And there's also some tension that is brewed between Howard and Jackson because Howard assumes that Wayne served in the war when really Jackson did. Mm. Jackson's a Marine and you could tell that Howard doesn't respect Jackson even though he did serve in the war and Wayne didn't because Wayne's like, oh, I got flat feet or something like that saying like he got out of it. (laughs) And there's also a scene where Howard is staring down Maxine because her cleavage is out and he's like adjusting his junk and shit like that and Wayne has to like call him out and be like, knock it the fuck off. But he's like, I don't trust you guys. But then asks for discretion for the sake of his wife mm-hmm. and then leaves, which is very funny if you look at the way that
1: Pearl acts later yeah, on. Literally? Yeah, I don't even know.
0: But then Wayne tries to write him off saying, He's harmless. He's old. His pecker probably hasn't been hard since before you were born.
1: Well, they don't know anything.
0: <laughs> okay, they don't know anything because
1: Howard, he's going to be getting it on. So shooting begins with Bobby Lynn and Jackson.
0: And they are. <laughs> Filming the scene. Brittany Stowe's doing her damn best. Kid Cuddy's doing his damn best. You can tell RJ is trying to direct them artistically and Jackson's like, fuck off, I know how to fuck. Yeah. But then we get Maxine in her iconic overalls. Yes.
1: Denim, short, short overalls with nothing else underneath. Nothing so else. I said underneath. <laughs> is that a new word? So lots of side boob. But also like really playing into this really like young look for her. You know, who do you see in overalls? Not so much adults as you see like young kids. And so that ends up coming later in her scene, which I think is interesting. Just this like de-aging that's going on in all corners of this industry, especially up against these really old folks who have this boarding home. While Bobby and Jackson are filming, Maxine goes out for a smoke and ends up going for a walk and finds this pond. There's like a little dock that goes out into the pond. And she heads out, sits down, dunks her feet in the water, and then decides that she's going to undress and go for a swim.
0: (sighs) But who's watching her? (laughs) Old Lady Pearl is watching her.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What movie is really
0: famous for all of those voyeuristic shots? I think it's Friday the 13th that you're thinking of. This
1: movie has so many. Yeah. And every time it means that Pearl is watching, which I kind of appreciate.
0: Back at the house, Wayne and RJ talk excitedly about the film and how much money it'll make. And I'm (laughs) like, this is the next quote game quote. Like, feel how hard my cock is. (laughs) Wayne makes RJ feel how hard his cock is. (laughs) And then the scene is over between Bobby and Jackson. Bobby throws the cum towel at Lorraine and she's traumatized. It was very funny. I loved this little scene where Jackson's all proud of himself, but then Bobby Lynn enacts her vocalizations and dirty talk to prove that like, she can turn it on and off and that she was acting.
1: <laughs> it's like when Harry met Sally when Sally fakes her orgasm in the middle of that
0: restaurant. Oh my God. It's
1: such a power move. This is one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. Oh my God. It's
0: so, it's It's so good. good. (laughs) It's so fucking good because then Jackson has to retreat and be like, I think I love you. And she's like, bless your heart. (laughs) It's
1: just so fucking good. It is so good. And again, like another moment where Bobby Lynn just has the power and anytime anybody ever tries to somehow surpass her in that, they just can't because she is so calm, cool and collected. She knows what she's doing. She's so
0: confident. It's just great. She is so fucking good in this movie. (laughs) I like adore her and this character in this movie so much. Meanwhile, Maxine is floating on her back in the pond. She begins to swim back. And I loved this aerial shot. I was like, it's giving Jennifer's body energy where Jennifer's doing the breaststroke (gasps) through the pond after she kills Jonas in the woods. Because it's like this aerial shot of her swimming through the water. But then you see that something's following her. Mm -hmm. And it's a gator.
1: Yeah, a whole alligator.
0: But she exits the water in time and nothing happens. Mm -hmm. So Maxine arrives
1: back from the pond and she sees, before she enters the little boarding hut, the old lady watching her again from the porch of her house. And how, how far away would you say the house is from the boarding house?
0: like a hundred
1: yards yeah something like that that like, sounds like a number i hear a lot
0: it's like it's, <laughs> it's fully in sight but it would take you a good five minutes to walk up on it you no know what way. i mean not five minutes you don't think five minutes no i don't way. know there's a lot of tall grass maybe i'm just thinking it would slow you down no nah, it's pretty close i'm gonna say a
1: 100 yards okay a 100 yards I'm, I'm a notoriously poor estimator <laughs>
0: so i don't know uh we'll see ty west correct us please how far away was <laughs> it thank you I also like that their wave was like mirroring each other. So many cool parallels here between these two women. But this is the part that's unbelievable to me is that Maxine just enters the house and then wanders about yelling hello.
1: Well, I think
0: because she thinks the
1: woman is waving her over.
0: Oh. That's what
1: I think. Like they wave to each other, but then Pearl's wave seems more like a gesture like, Mm, come here. And Max, if she is assuming that Pearl is an unassuming kind old woman like many might assume, she kind of slowly, tentatively, like Shay said, goes up to the house, doesn't see Pearl originally, lets herself in the unlocked screen door and says hello, as if to ask, did you want me here? Should I go? So she's trying to figure out like where Pearl is and what she wanted.
0: But she enters the house, there's flies buzzing around loads of dirty dishes, there's burnt food on the stove, like you could tell how hard it is to keep a house or how hard it is to just live when you're older and you can't do as much as you thought so maxine is looking around in the kitchen and then pearl does a jump scare with the best beyonce album and says lemonade (laughs) (laughs) maybe not the best maybe just my favorite but anyway so then we get a scene of maxine sitting opposite to pearl is a very uncomfy energy maxine chugs her lemonade in like many gulps trying to like get the fuck out of there so she can leave so pearl goes to walk maxine to the door but then stops to look at photos and meanwhile can i say This is one of the instances where
1: this movie has another scene going on intercut Mm. with what we're watching. And one of the reasons I think this scene is so uncomfortable is because of what the scene is on the surface, an old woman inviting a young woman in for lemonade that is being intercut and showing clear parallels to the like finished film version of the scene that Bobby Lynn and Jackson have just filmed. It's Jackson coming to the house, Bobby Lynn inviting him in for lemonade. They have a conversation. It leads to sex. It has to happen before dad gets home, right? This whole thing. It's like very short cut. So you can see like very clearly where these parallels are. And then we just see freaking Maxine getting invited in for lemonade. Husband's not around. She better go because Pearl hears Howard coming up the drive. It's just like these scenes that on the surface have nothing in common in this instance have everything in
0: common. It's so strange. Because especially the way that Pearl begins talking to Maxine, she's like, I was young once too. And then begins talking about Howard and how he was in the war and says, there wasn't anything he wouldn't do for me back then. That's the power of beauty. I was a dancer in those years, but then the war came and not everything turns out as you would expect. Dialogue that will become important later. Just <laughs> lock that away for later. And then Pearl touches Maxine's exposed side because remember, she's wearing overalls and nothing mm. else. Mm-hmm. Again, it's cut with Bobby Lynn and Jackson's B roll. Maxine backs away, and then this is where Howard pulls up, and she tells Pearl, "You should go. It will be our secret." And Maxine's like, "What? (laughs) 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 Like the lemonade? You touching my side? Like what's going on?" Yes. But Pearl shushes her, and then Maxine leaves, evading Howard as she runs back to the guest house. But it doesn't have the energy of an illicit affair, but the acting is all within as if they just had a very intimate moment with each other, even if Maxine's like, what the fuck are you talking about, lady? You know? Right. Very one-sided. So back at the shoot, Max is up with Jackson this
1: time. And they do the shoot- Maxine is you could tell like in her element like Mm -hmm. she knows how to do this shoot she knows what the camera is looking for and that scene is pretty short lived actually her and Jackson finish and then the evening arrives
0: yeah and this scene is intercut with a scene of Pearl sitting on her vanity combing her hair and doing her makeup just like Maxine's which is very scary (laughs) I wrote, everyone watches in awe, but guess who else is watching? Pearl is watching. Oh my god, that's right. From outside the barn, Pearl is watching the scene take place. And then there's even some deliberate cuts between young and old, like, topping Jackson. Like, it's Pearl in one moment, and then it's Maxine in another moment, right? Yes,
1: as if Pearl is imagining herself mm-hmm. in Maxine's
0: place. Yes, Absolutely. So that night, Pearl returns to the house. This broke my fucking heart. She approaches Howard in a dress. She's wearing makeup. She's like moving sensually and trying to like seduce him in a way that makes sense for older people to seduce each other. Howard's like, we talked about this. And she's like, oh, come on, Howard, please, and kisses him. And he's like, you know, I can't. My heart will give out or something and then leaves her alone. And Pearl just feels so dejected and heartbroken. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, that's the thing about this movie that I think it does so well, is it plays such a balance of us pitying both of these people so much and then having them do these very weird things that makes us be like, Oh, well they're old and it lulls us into this like false sense of pity and security that when they start doing fucked up shit you're like, "Oh wait, like yeah. it's so playful and it's so intentional and it's yeah, it's so good."
1: I agree. Like we know something's up, but we don't really know because the movie still has us feeling a different way. So, back at the boarding house, the movie crew is preparing dinner and everyone is just praising Maxine's performance. Like she has done it. They're going to be rich and famous. And Lorraine starts asking questions, and she asks about how the actors can have sex with people that they don't love. She's curious about how Maxine can have a shoot like that with Jackson, and Wayne doesn't get jealous. She doesn't understand. They end up kind of having a conversation about it.
0: So, I mean, Wayne's like, it's just business as long as the camera's running. He doesn't give a shit. (laughs) And then Lorraine asks, well, what about love? I think it's Bobby Lynn first. She says, it's just sex. You can decide who you want to love, but not who you want to screw. Attraction is out of our control and it ain't healthy to keep those feelings locked away inside. And then I think it's Maxine says, everyone likes sex. It's like a gas. We're just not afraid to admit it queer straight black white it's all disco you know why because one day we're going to be too old to fuck and life's too short if you ask me mm-hmm. they might be flipped on who said what but both of them have a contribution to that conversation pretty much saying it's not as deep as you're making it calm the fuck down <laughs> they all toast to the perverts that are going to buy their dirty movie and then a very wholesome but also heartbreaking <laughs> scene unfolds of jackson playing guitar and bobby lynn singing landslide by fleetwood mac and it's so upsetting because it's just intercut with scenes of Pearl staring at herself in the vanity, wiping her makeup off, crying and getting into bed. And I'm just like, oh,
1: like, it's so sad. So after this conversation, Lorraine, who did seem like she was really invested in the previous conversation, she pipes up again and says that she wants to do a scene in the movie. RJ is not having it. Yeah. He says no right away. And then Lorraine, with the best clapback of the movie, says, don't be such a prude. RJ, eat your words. Exactly.
0: <laughs> she even says, RJ, they're not watching the film for the plot. They're coming to see tits and ass and a big dick. Why don't you just give the people what they're paying for? <laughs> Lorraine! Oh, my God. So RJ storms off, and then him and Wayne have a talk outside, and I wrote, Wayne gets weirdly paternal and misogynistic all at once. Yes. Because he's trying to comfort RJ being like, listen, like, I get it, you're upset, that's your girl, whatever, but, like, it doesn't have to be that deep. And RJ's like, Wayne, you don't get it, Lorraine is not like the others in there, she's a nice girl and wayne's like i beg your pardon i hate to be the one to tell you this but ain't none of them nice girls so he's just trying to say like listen you need to get your fucking morals out of your ass and just film this film you know
1: and i love that line because yeah a little bit misogynistic, ain't none of them nice girls. But also at the same time, like give credit where credit is due. Like just because you're looking at a woman doesn't mean that the only thing she's capable of is being nice and demure. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's like the conversations we've had when we talked about Jennifer Check and Jennifer's body and all of these other women we see in these villain roles. Like they take the stereotype that a woman should only be quiet, demure, kind, obliging and turn it on its head. And even though it's fucked up, it's like kind of nice
0: to see. I don't know. <laughs> no, it is. So Bobby Lynn and Maxine do Lorraine's makeup while Jackson does some push-ups, I guess. for like
1: I some- love, I love. <laughs> He's getting himself pumped up. He's a professional. Yeah, he is. He's doing
0: what he needs to do. <laughs> RJ looks so defeated and he tears up as Wayne hands him the camera. <sighs> and I mean, this is the thing that's like so weird to me is that Lorraine is wearing like Sunday underwear. Like it's such a childish thing. And I just wrote like, she just looks so young, like Jenna Ortega in this movie, I think she turned 18 on the filming of this movie, right? Mm. So it's just the idea that we're supposed to feel very uncomfortable. And especially with that shot, we're supposed to be looking at this as like, fuck, like, Mm -hmm. does she actually know what she's doing? Does she actually know the decision that she's making? Mm -hmm. I mean, again, she's her own woman. No one has to protect her innocence, but it's just the idea that like, there is a marked difference in maturity and age and life experience from Maxine and Bobby Lynn to Lorraine. And it's just like, you're watching it and you're not excited. I wasn't at least excited for her. You know what I mean? I didn't think it was liberating. I thought it was like, oh no.
1: Well, also we know that this industry does end up taking off. Right. And it's again, that idea, you know, without that context, she is feeling liberated. She wants to participate in something, but she doesn't have the information of what the future brings, which is a very successful market. And this film, it's not something you can just burn like a magazine or something like that. Also, it's really giving to me, I don't know, like the feeling you have if you like send a nude to your boyfriend. Right. It's like you're confident, but then it's like you hear the stories about those nudes that get sent around and blah, 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 blah. So it's like that feeling too of like you want the people participating in this to be like Bobby Lynn and Maxine who are like, I know this. I've seen this. This is my jam. This brings me satisfaction. But then you see Lorraine and you're scared.
0: (laughs) You're so scared.
1: And you stay scared.
0: Yes. <laughs> Motherfucker. The scared doesn't go away. <laughs> no, it doesn't. So Pearl wakes up in the nighttime. We then see shots of Wayne and Maxine and then Bobby Lynn and Jackson sleeping in bed together. Lorraine is sleeping, but RJ is sobbing in the shower. <laughs> yeah. Did you feel bad
1: for him? I don't know. No, because I think it would have been fair for him to think he felt one way and then realize he felt another. But I don't think he handled that the right
0: way. No. So that's why I don't really feel bad for him as he cries in the shower. But RJ grabs his keys. He gets in the van. And he he even says out loud. He's like, good luck getting anywhere without me. Like he plans on ditching them. But as he turns the lights of the van on, Pearl is standing in the way of the van, looking very confused in her nightgown. He exits the van to help. Don't fear the reaper is playing, giving very much scream. She embraces him and he recoils. And then she's like, why won't you look at me? Look Mm. at me like you looked at her. I can show you what I'm capable of. Oh my God. And he's like, I don't want to see it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. And then he suggests they go look for Howard, but Pearl isn't satisfied with that answer and stabs him in the neck. That's cracked.
1: And she leaves the knife in there. It's not a ding-ding-fui moment. It's
0: not a Mm ding-ding-fui, no.
1: And if you don't know what that
0: is, (laughs) by the way,
1: because we we made this reference before in another episode and I... Hush, yeah. Hush. And I was like, I don't know if anyone's going to know what ding-ding-fui means. Listen to Scream 2022. Only if you're interested. (laughs) Okay. So she leaves the knife in there. He falls to the ground and she gets on top of him. Again, I mean, because of the context of this movie, it's giving very like sexual, like the scene that she had seen Maxine filming with Jackson, the scene that, you know, we just saw Lorraine filming with Jackson, right? Like these women on top, she gets on top of him, takes the knife out and stabs him a bunch more times in the neck as she moans. And because they are right in front of the car that's still on with its headlights on, as she is stabbing RJ, the spatter is hitting the headlights and turning it red. So this red light descends on the scene as she moans. So Suspiria. It is really Suspiria. Mm -hmm. And honestly, really interesting that RJ probably has the most artistic death You're so right. Because it is avant-garde. It is. And I didn't think about that until you said that. So Dario Argento. Mm -hmm. He would be so happy (laughs) with the way he
0: died. (laughs) So pleased. So pleased. So then Pearl stands and then dances in the headlight beams. The music changes to something a lot more regal. You can tell that she feels like she's back in her dancing days. Yes. But then it fades back to Don't Fear the Reaper and she just turns the car off. And then we get a scene of Lorraine waking up, realizing RJ is missing, goes looking for him, sees the front door is wide open. And I'm like, (laughs) Wayne joins her in his tidy whities (laughs) and tries to assure her that he's okay, but she asks for his help looking for him. And I wrote, no shirts, no pants, no problem.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I do really like Wayne a lot. He is also a great stinking character. He's so funny. He, You never know what you're going to get from him. Respect for Wayne right
0: now. <laughs> so Wayne goes to the barn while Lorraine approaches the house. Howard walks out of the house and asks Lorraine if she's seen Pearl. Meanwhile, Wayne is shouting relationship advice to the cows, is what I wrote. He thinks RJ's in the barn. Exactly. Then I wrote, pulls ready or not and steps on an upturned nail in the barn, yells at the cows some more as if it's their fault, still calling for RJ because he hears some movement and then he hobbles over to the barn doors, looks out of a hole in the wood and gets stabbed through the eye with a pitchfork through the hole in the door. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so as soon
1: as he gets stabbed, we immediately cut back to Lorraine Howard had asked her to go into the basement to get a second flashlight. So she goes into the basement, grabs the flashlight on his tool bench. But then as she comes back upstairs, she realizes she's locked in the fucking basement. Okay. This Mm -mm. is extra scary. It is. Because we don't know that Howard is bad. Like, really bad. Like, overtly bad. Sinister. Sinister. Until this moment when she's locked in the basement. So, again, we're back in the basement with Lorraine. She goes back with her flashlight to kind of figure out another way out. This is the scary thing that, of course, the sheriff and his officer saw.
0: Yeah, Lorraine sees a naked man strung up in chains in the basement and delivers a very horrified scream, go Janet Ortega, you Mm -hmm. fucking fucking sold it. Like, it's
1: so good. And this is an image that I was familiar with before seeing this movie. Like, I feel like this is cover art sometimes. The
0: scream, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the implication
1: is that this random dead man strung up in the basement with his pants around his ankles was held captive somehow, perhaps as some kind of sex slave. Is, again, the implication. Is that ever said? No. But based on what's going on, I mean, yes, that is immediately what my
0: fear became. Yep. So Jackson wakes up because he hears a noise and goes to investigate. He nakedly goes and drinks some milk. <laughs>
1: he nakedly
0: drinks milk. <laughs> I mean, he does. But I noted that there was a missing person on the milk carton that looked very familiar. What? Who was it? <gasps> uh huh. I didn't even catch that. Mm-hmm. On the side of the milk carton, when he tips, it looks like a, a woman. I took that, especially knowing the ending. Okay, wow. Yeah, yeah, crazy so jackson opens the door still naked to see howard approaching howard explains that pearl gets confused after dark and jackson offers to help because he's a marine and then he says he's gonna go put some clothes on because thank you please put some clothes on everyone's
1: naked i was okay with him being
0: naked i mean like (laughs) i just want to know if he wore a prosthetic or not
1: i just like watching him be so confident
0: i mean no he can have his confidence i just like (laughs) it's just there was there was a lot there was a lot to see there was a lot to see Then there's a point of view shot of someone entering the bedroom where Maxine is sleeping and watching her sleep. It's Pearl. (laughs) It's always Pearl. Pulls the covers off of Maxine, undresses herself, and then climbs into bed with her. And I wrote, like, it's interesting how, like, the archetype of a dirty old pervert is a trope in, like, movie and life. Like, the dirty old man type of thing. Where in this case, like, Pearl seems to be the one that's very much sexual aggressor, especially with, like, the man in the basement. And then in this situation. Yeah, Because she's a woman and because she's old, those are two things that tell you that, like, this person is not threatening, Uh but she very much is. So it's, like, even when she does, like, wake up to see things happening, it's more startling than anything else. You know
1: what I mean? Right. And something else about this scene is that the movie makes you sit with the knowledge that this is going on for a little while. Because we cut back to Howard, quote-unquote, looking for Pearl by the pond with Jackson.
0: Now Jackson reassures they'll find her because he's a marine. But again, loves confidence. But then we're cut back to the scene of Pearl in bed with Maxine, and Pearl is feeling Maxine up, and her hands are still bloody. Yeah. She's breathing heavily, is nuzzling in her hair. And I wrote like, bitch, wake up. You have so much coke in your system. Why are you sleeping? (laughs) Because Maxine has been snorting coke this entire movie. That's a really good point. You should not be asleep. And the fact that you have someone (laughs) nuzzling in the back of your neck and breathing on you and moaning and grabbing grabbing you. She might have thought it was still, though. Like, wake up. You got so much coke. You shouldn't be sleeping at all. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So
1: meanwhile, again, we're back at the pond. Jackson, he has split up from Howard at this point. He finds a car submerged by like the water bank, which again, we can maybe assume belong to that gentleman in the basement. And he returns to tell Howard, But he sees that it looks like Howard has wandered into the water, like his flashlight is out there. So Jackson immediately goes into the water to try to make sure that Howard is okay, because he's concerned for this old gentleman. But as he searches, he realizes it's just the flashlight. Howard isn't there. As he wades back out of the water, he finds Howard, who starts to criticize Jackson for enticing his wife.
0: Yeah, he says, I can't give her what she wants anymore. You don't understand what that's like. You can still do as you please. The last man who stayed here was the same, trancing around in barely any clothes, enticing my wife. And then he promptly shoots Jackson. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. With a shotgun. So- Jackson is done. I also found it interesting that like RJ and Wayne both got stabbed, which is very much an emblem of sexual frustration. Mm -hmm. And they were killed by Pearl, where Jackson was very quickly dispatched with a shotgun by Howard. Yeah. So it's really showing that like Howard isn't playing into this like sexual aggression game that Pearl is like Pearl wants to elongate into like be an aggressor of sexual power where Howard's very much again, just being her accomplice.
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And especially the scene to, like, veteran to veteran is interesting. Meanwhile, we see Lorraine in the basement. She has found an axe. And so she is going to probably try to use that to get out. Now, after we have sat with the knowledge that Pearl has been caressing Max for God knows how long, she finally wakes up, registers what is going on and screams so loud, which sends Pearl running and wakes up Bobby Lynn. Meanwhile, Lorraine has gone up to the basement door and she is trying to use an ax to bust out. And she gets one of like the door panels out and tries to reach around to unlock the door. But Howard sees her Hush style. Yes. Hush style. Breaks her hand with the butt of his rifle. Mm -hmm. And he gets a couple whacks in. Again, this movie makes you wait for the gore to be over. It's never just one blow. Except with, I guess, Jackson.
0: Right. And Lorraine by the end. True.
1: Yes. Which is like, I can't believe you gave us that. She is now, again, back in the basement crying.
0: Yeah. And he turns up the evangelical TV to cover her screams up, which I thought was pretty significant. Maxine snorts more coke, because of course she does, and then Bobby Lynn wanders around looking for Jackson and sees a naked Pearl on the dock, runs up to help her, and is like infantilizing her, saying, listen, my grandma gets confused sometimes, I'm almost like a nurse at this point, like covers her up with her jacket, and then Pearl slaps Bobby Lynn across the (laughs) face and says, I don't need a nurse, why should you get to have it all, what have you ever done except be a whore? You don't deserve to be able to flaunt it in my face like you do. And I wrote, interesting that she's a blonde, based on what we know about Pearl. Finally, Bobby Lynn gets defensive. She's like, it ain't my fault you didn't live the life you wanted. Move, you mean, old, ugly bit. And then Pearl shoves Bobby Lynn in the water, and the fucking gator gets her Mm -hmm. immediately. Yes. And this is where I wrote, Bobby Lynn was very kind and even borderline accepting of Pearl's abuse up until that point. She wasn't ever going to slap Pearl back, even if Pearl deserved it, right? Mm -mm. And I wrote, it's representative of how we give senile old fucks a pass for being horrible because of generational differences, as if their frailty makes up for their cuntiness. Mm -hmm. And it exemplifies how little we think of aging people and the harm they're actually capable of. I'm coming at this as a queer person that just survived the holidays with old people, right? Like the fact that they're expected to be some level of asshole and you're accepted to just sit there and take it. And Bobby Lynn was doing that. She was sitting there. She was taking it. She's like, you know what? You can call me a whore. You can call me whatever the fuck you want. Hmm. You're a senile old lady. And that's just what I have to expect of you. But she did not expect to be pushed into the fucking lake and eaten by a gator. And she was. So it's again... Having this through line, this underline, again, the Astrologic, we're not meant to see these people as a threat, and then they are. Yeah. So after Bobby
1: Lynn lands in the pond, Howard appears behind Pearl and asks her, was that the one? To which Pearl responds, you know I don't like blondes. Will be so relevant. Will be so relevant. So meanwhile, back at the boarding house, Max has discovered that she's all alone fully. And she spots Howard and Pearl walking back towards the house with Howard's gun in tow. We can assume that she tries to get somewhere, hide somewhere. And as Pearl and Howard enter the house to look for Maxine, they start talking about the murders that have taken place, that there is still one girl alive in the basement. And as they sit on the bed that Pearl had just previously been in next to Max... Pearl asks Howard to tell her she's special, and they begin to have this tender moment over this sort of loving dialogue, which leads to them having sex. And then, oop! As the camera pans down towards the floor, we see that Maxine is under the bed, and that she has heard everything that they have just disclosed about the murders. Somebody's still being alive at the house. So given the distractions, she slowly (laughs) scoots her way out of the room on her stomach, gets up and makes a break for it. On her way towards the main house, she sees RJ's body in front of the van with the slashed tires. She grabs Wayne's gun from the glove box and goes
0: inside the house and finds Lorraine, who is having a full breakdown. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when it comes to Pearl and Howard's sex scene, I noted that the camera's not shying away from anything. There's a lot of vocalizing, moaning, shots of thrusting from above. Like, if you look at any, like, sitcom or TV show or movie, if an older or already established married couple is being intimate, they show, like, the beginning kiss and then the suggestion of intimacy. Yeah. And then it always fades out. But if the couple's young and hot, they get on with the sex scene and there's a lot more that you see. And it's, like, the fact that the camera's not shying away from this act of intimacy between two people who presumably have had intimacy for years and years and years and years mm-hmm. before that we're seeing all of it now and we recoil almost at it but it's the idea that yeah these people were young and the fact that this union is still kind of beautiful even though these two people are very primarily fucked up <laughs> yeah and all that kind of stuff but it is so sweet just yeah like you said yeah. with that loving dialogue but yeah uh-huh. Lorraine is playing the blame game, blaming Maxine for everything. And look,
1: honestly, like, like, I can't even blame Lorraine. I really
0: can't. No. Like,
1: I was seeing Lorraine and I was like, if I'm honest with myself, like, this would be me. Yeah. Like, I would be the one inconsolable, especially if I was locked in the basement with a corpse. And my hand's broken. And my hand
0: is broken. That's correct. But as she, (laughs) this, I like, Why is this so funny? I screamed. Um, (laughs) Lorraine goes to run outside away from Maxine and gets fucking shot to hell by Howard. Like she fucking flies. But she's down and it's just Maxine
1: left. They don't know that Maxine is there yet. They just know that Lorraine has tried to run out of the house. So Howard, assuming that she had just found another way out, starts to try to drag her body outside, commenting that she's heavier than she looks. So then when he has a heart attack and collapses dead on the floor because of the strain on his heart, it doesn't come to a surprise to us at least, but it's a really sad moment because we had just seen this really tender moment between him and Pearl and Pearl is understandably heartbroken that her husband is now dead. Max takes this opportunity to make herself known. She holds her gun to Pearl, asks where the keys are to the truck. Pearl tells her they have a face-off whereas Max recites to herself like we've seen so many times in the mirror that she, what is it? Shouldn't settle for a life she doesn't deserve.
0: Yeah. So she says to Pearl, you're going to rot when people find out what you've done. And Pearl retorts, what I've done? What about you? You don't think I saw what you did in that barn? You deviant little whore. We're (sighs) the same and you'll end up just like me, which is, again, so prophetic. And Pearl says, I'm nothing like you. You're a kidnap and murder and sex fiend. (laughs) I'm a fucking star. The whole world is going to know my name. I will not accept a life I do not deserve, which was her earlier mirror mantra. And as she says, I
1: will not accept a life I do not deserve, the evangelical preacher on the TV says the same thing in tandem with her.
0: Mm -hmm. So
1: again, sewing these weird, just like these weird parallels between ages, between like belief systems, like it's all giving like, despite all of the different people and lifestyles and ages that we're seeing, like there's so many similarities So after this face-off, Max tries to shoot Pearl, but the gun that she took from the glove box wasn't loaded. And so then Pearl takes the opportunity to grab Howard's gun and shoot at Maxine. But as Maxine is able to dodge the bullet, the force of the blast... Sends Pearl, who probably weighs like 65 pounds at this point, (laughs) flying backward. Out of the house. Out, fully out of the house. (laughs) Like past the front porch where she lands and presumably breaks her hips. She is incapacitated, cannot get up. So Max comes outside. Pearl, of course, ugh, begs
0: her to help her. I'm such an old lady. bbb. She doesn't even beg. She, she's insulting her. She's like, you whore. You're not innocent. You're not special. It'll all be taken away from you just like it was from me. I'll tell everyone what you are. Didn't she say something like help me? Originally. Oh, okay. And then she, once she realizes she's oh, not she, going to, she, she, she goes, goes like, into her like, yeah, it, I'm going out with fuck a bang. Fuck you. I'm going out <laughs> with a bang.
1: Yeah. So Max gets in the truck with the keys and before driving away, she quick backs up over Pearl's head, <laughs> <laughs> throws the car back in to drive And as she's in the truck, she takes a final bump of Coke as she drives off into the sunrise. And the movie closes back in that living room with the evangelical preacher on TV as he begins telling his audience about his daughter who has turned to the dark side. And he shows a picture of a little girl with the iconic freckles that Maxine has had the whole movie across her face, revealing that she is the preacher's daughter, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> Ethel Kane we can't escape okay Ethel Kane. you gotta listen if you haven't I know seriously then the officers outside find the camera and wonder what could be on it and the sheriff replies one fucked up horror
0: movie yep and that's a movie and that's a <laughs> movie <laughs> yeah I was also reflecting I'm like, it's one thing if she, like, overheard Pearl and Howard talking about how Wayne is dead. But, like, in theory, Maxine shouldn't know Wayne is dead, but then leaves him anyway. (laughs) Like, go off, sis. Oh!
1: You know what I mean? I thought she assumed because she only heard of one person
0: being left in the basement. Maybe that. Like, maybe that's what it is. But she, like, discovers RJ's body. You know what I mean? And then, like, sees Lorraine get shot. And I don't know what she thinks happens to Bobby Leonard Jackson because they're in the fucking bayou at that point. Right. No word of Wayne, you're like, I don't care. (laughs) I don't care, fuck him. (laughs) So some post-plot stuff, as I was researching this, I came across (laughs) my favorite name of a trope I've ever found, which is the Psycho Bitty trope. (laughs) This comes from the Gender in Horror Movies wiki. So, quoting this wiki, Nate Roscoe of Fangoria, which is a uh, amazing horror magazine, wrote an essay on the film that ex- exemplifies a modern take on the psychobiddy horror subgenre in which an aging or elderly woman portray a grotesque, violent character. Psychobiddy is a film subgenre which combines elements of horror, thriller, and women's film genres. It has also been referred to as grandam guignol, hag exploitation, and hag horror. Oh. Films in this genre conventionally feature a formerly glamorous older woman who has become mentally unbalanced and terrorizes those around her. The term and genre received criticism, particularly in regard to claims that the psychobiddy films exploit actresses who have experienced or are vulnerable to ageism. Timothy Sherry and Nancy McVitie noted the genre in their book, Fade to Grey, Aging in American Cinema, stating that cycle of film renders that aging women at their core are monstrously othered objects. Bustle writer Caitlin Gallagher criticized the term Hag exploitation as she felt it shows a certain lack of respect for the actresses who starred in those types of movies, further noting, together with the term psychobiddy, the terms used disparaging terms for older women, Hag and Biddy, to not only indicate how unattractive the female characters are in those types of films, but show those characters as psychotic. I mean that's the thing, like we haven't covered the visit. The visit is very much like this, where it uses the naked older lady trope as like a jump scare type mm-hmm. of thing, where it's like, Oh my gosh, like this moonlight effect that happens with these confused older women and they commit these monstrous acts. And even in like the wreck and quarantine movies, like the idea that this image of an older woman is monstrous and grotesque. And it's not something we're supposed to be attracted to or revere, especially to the fact that even though Pearl and her youth like didn't get the fame that she wanted is somebody that should be respected. We saw that respect, but not in the way that Pearl was seeking it. Like she wanted to be seen as a sexual object. She wanted to be seen as an object of beauty. But these characters could only really see her as like, oh, this old timer who we should be nice to and we should drink her lemonade because that's the most polite thing to do type of situation. Mm hmm. So I found that interesting being that this movie situates the older, quote unquote, vulnerable population as the threat. And again, it's the Esther effect. Like we're not seeing these things as threats when they very much are. That ties into some of the research I found
1: about just the fear of aging in general and how Ty West used these tropes in a little bit more of an enlightening way than they may have been used in the past. So In his article, X Review, a movie about what really horrifies us, Michael Green writes, "Quote X from art house distributor A24 is a slasher movie about what really horrifies us. Writer slash director Ty West is too intelligent and thoughtful a filmmaker to believe that conventional boogeymen top our list of fears. He knows that a youth-obsessed society is far more terrified not only of growing old, but of confronting the fact that the elderly may still possess some very inconvenient desires. So this quote immediately made me think of a friend of mine who used to work in a skilled nursing facility. She met at least one female patient who talked very openly and frequently about being horny, (laughs) which when she told me this was pretty jarring to hear Not necessarily because of what she was saying, but just like the abruptness of that information and the idea that an old woman could be horny and be sharing that information. It's just not something that I'm used to hearing about. But that story came to mind immediately when watching this movie because of Pearl and her character and her devious sexuality. So I decided to do some research about, like, sex drive for the elderly. Oh, my God. Which is, like, I was just really interested because, like, what's the deal? So according to several sources – and look, I am not (laughs) – this is not – this is – I did my best, but I'm not a doctor or any kind of medical professional. And I'm focusing on women primarily. It's a myth that all women lose their sex drive as they age. Sandy Lamotte cites assistant professor of medicine at the University of Pittsburgh, Holly Thomas, in her 2020 CNN article. It's a myth that women lose their interest in sex as they enter middle life and beyond. According to new research that followed over 3,200 women for approximately 15 years, About a quarter of women rate sex as very important regardless of their age. Substantial numbers of women still highly value sex even as they get older and it's not abnormal. So Pearl is not alone and that she wants to get it on. So this article, along with some other sources like Dana R. Ambler and Company's 2012 literature review titled Sexual Function in Elderly Woman, a Review of Current Literature, and John S. Fisher and Company's 2020 article, Sexual Health in the Elderly Population, also discuss the reality that sex drive doesn't just disappear after 65. While there may be some sexual dysfunction due to a myriad of factors like the changing aging body and other outside influences, and I'm thinking of Howard's heart there are still folks in their golden years looking to get it on. While menopause for women can cause some of these issues, like a drop in estrogen, women in their middle adulthood, like 30s and 40s and beyond menopause, may actually experience increased sex drive partially because the pressure of childbearing or motherhood decreases. So you can like come into your prime. And I'm not, obviously, like I said, a medical professional by any means, but this information I was able to stitch together stands out to me for a few reasons. So one, I think the lack of scholarship and just plain old conversation and representation of sex beyond one's quote unquote youth is why Green is right when he says Ty West knows what our society is afraid of, aging, and how he uses the hypersexuality of an old woman to double down on that. Also, I think these medical studies and findings paired with the psychobiddy trope and the research we did from our Lords of Salem episode centering the almost untapped power of older women, again underscore older women as the quote unquote other or one of them in our patriarchal youth-obsessed culture, maintaining them as excellent vehicles of horror.
0: And I think it's so much easier to contextualize Pearl's character once we watch Pearl, Oh, yeah. The extraordinary origin story, because this type of hypersexuality is not unique to her age. It is not unique to the circumstances that she's in with Howard right now. This is a, certainly a pattern that we're going to discover about Pearl, who is just such an interesting character, who I'm so excited to see in Villains March Madness. I don't know what she's going to do. Um, sh- oh, she's just going to seduce everybody.
1: I mean, she'll grab anything she can get her hands on.
0: Yeah, she doesn't discriminate
1: gender, Sh- age. No, 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 nothing. Any tool, any person, like no. anything that makes sense for her to use or to get, she'll do it. Yeah, I did not even think of her in Villains, March Madness, <laughs> and I'm already scared. <laughs> so next week, believe it or not, and if you've seen Pearl, you probably already know, not focusing so much on age anymore. No. Really different sort of movie, but still excellent. I'm so excited for that conversation. I think we both liked it more than X. Well, for me, yeah. <laughs> but not not necessarily because of like characterization or plot, but just because I found it less scary, which is always for me, even with the emotional element, Easier to get through. X, I felt in my experience, was more of like the traditional horror movie, which took inspiration from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But Pearl is a horror movie that takes inspiration from, and you'll hear this again, The Wizard of Oz. (laughs) So again, two different movies, really good. And I have no idea, honestly, where that's going to
0: leave Maxine to do. But we want to cover it ASAP because we're invested in this fucking trilogy at this point.
1: We are. So definitely tune in next week to hear more about Pearl. If you want to reach out to us, give us any recommendations. It's a new year. We have a lot of open spaces. Please feel free to email us at thehorrorspodcast at gmail.com and or follow us on Instagram, also at thehorrorspodcast.
0: And until next time, we're the horrors. Bye. Bye.